Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And I am so happy that we are cootie free. I can touch you. Touch my finger. Boop. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the podcast studio, finally able to record in person. Knock on wood. We've got COVID out of the way. We've got influenza A out of the way. Like, I think we're pretty good. We're like going into a warmer season. So typically people get less sick. I mean, I know it's only January. The snow comes down outside. I (laughs) I just want to say, First of all, thank you guys for sticking it out with us. I know we've had a lot of promises and under-delivered in certain categories when it talked. Uh, we talked about doing video, but we are trying our best. And as we know, Annie is with child, so we want to make sure that <laughs> I'm keeping her as healthy as possible. But here's hoping that with the start of the new year and Mercury retrograde behind us, all of our little technical difficulties will be behind us, but we shall see. But this is the start of February, and February is Black History Month, and we wanted to take this time to talk about some cases that if you're anything like me, Annie, I don't know about you, but in high school, I got the most like whitewashed history lessons. Truly, like I know who Martin Luther King Jr. is, and that's what I learned in school. I learned like once segregation was over that like everyone's problems went away. I never heard about Jim Crow. I never heard about a lot of this stuff. So we want to take some time to dedicate a few cases this month to really showing that some of the atrocities and just horrible crimes against not only the black community, but also bring awareness to some of the crimes against indigenous communities as well. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Annie to talk about her case today. I will admittedly tell you I do not know much about this, but what I do know, it's vile. This is a very vile case. It's shocking that I had never heard of it until Elise sent it over to me. So thank you for sending it, Elise, because I definitely learned some things while researching. The case I am covering today is the Tuskegee Syphilis Study, formerly known as the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male. It's a shame that this study isn't talked about more, especially in health and science classes, because it's very shocking But I think as adults, we know that certain organizations like to hide things that are considered not tasteful or shameful. Be careful, Annie. Last time we started talking about some of these organizations, we had a lot of technical difficulty. If you guys remember our case on uh, the Denver airport where our audio suddenly went mysteriously missing. So proceed with caution here, please. Yeah, we had to record that like four times. So knock on wood that we don't have to record this multiple times. But it's we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable today. I think we will this whole month because this study and the people it affected needs to be discussed and remembered. We are getting in our little time machine and we're going to go all the way back to 1932 to a little town called Tuskegee, Alabama, where one of the most infamous medical studies took place. This experiment, if you will, was focused around untreated syphilis, specifically in black men. See, I'm already ignorant to this because I thought syphilis was something like back in powdered wigs. Like I didn't really think it was a thing still, especially in this century or in the past century. I thought this was, you know, everyone's putting on their white powdered wigs to cover up their bald spots. (laughs) It still is the thing today. And I know this because after searching syphilis on my computer, I was getting hit with like TikTok ads. I'm not even kidding you. So if you want to know how to cure it, I'm your girl. (laughs) (laughs) targeted ads for syphilis the things that you get when you have to google you know syphilis as a true crime podcaster (laughs) but i'm glad you brought that up about the white wigs because in the late 1920s and 30s syphilis the sexually transmitted disease was running rampant in the u.s 
I grabbed some statistics according to the Cleveland Clinic, and they are very unsettling. So back in this time period, one out of every 10 Americans suffered from syphilis. Each year, Americans contracted almost half a million new syphilis infections, which was twice as many cases as tuberculosis and 100 times as many cases as polio. 18% of all deaths from organic heart disease could be attributed to syphilis. Up to 20% of all mental institution inmates suffered from syphilis. And the last one, 60,000 children were born each year with congenital syphilis. So it was a big problem. That's an understatement. Oh my gosh. Like I said, I had no idea. I just thought syphilis was the thing of the past and it was, you know, yeah, terrible. And then we got rid of it. Yeah. It was a pretty dire situation. Symptoms of syphilis can start off as fevers and sores, but without treatment, it can lead to damage to the heart, nerves, and brain. Because of these startling statistics and the nature of the disease, the public health service had to jump into action and try and find some kind of cure or a way to at least slow the spread down. In 1929, the Julius Rosenwald Fund started working in conjunction with the public health service to try and improve health, specifically in lower-income Black communities. They sent mobile units around the South to draw people's blood and try and get a feel for kind of hot spots of certain diseases, one being syphilis, but their effort wasn't focused solely on one disease, kind of just more in general. It was focused on Black communities with the goal to bring medical efforts and supplies to these underserved communities. Well, and, you know, if one thing hasn't changed through history, it's that the Black community, there's a huge deficit of the health care that they receive versus some other areas. So I understand that this started out, it sounds like, with good intentions, but it is this podcast. So I'm going to hold on from praising anyone. As you should. One area in particular that stood out a little bit to the public health service was this little town in Alabama called Tuskegee, which is where our story takes place. These health officials learned that this county had one of the highest rates of syphilis, roughly 36% of the population having the disease, making it one of the highest areas in the country. Well, see, and right there, you know something's up, because why is it 1 in 10 is the national average, but then in these underserved communities, it's 1 in 3 practically? Exactly, and I'm going to get into some racist comments made by people and kind of the outlook that people had on these underserved communities, and that's really where our story is going to ramp up, and I think we're going to get a little, a little angry about this. But Macon County was a poor county where almost everyone made their living by farming, and the education level was very low. Medical help and doctors were pretty much non-existent, which can attribute to why people may have had this disease and why it was kind of a higher number. They didn't have access. Exactly. The mission to improve healthcare was well on its way when that a uh, Great Depression began and the Rosenwald Fund dried up so there was no money to do good or help anymore. So that makes sense. Obviously, the Great Depression impacted almost everyone in this country. Um, and then you have two great world wars right on either side of it. So I imagine, yes, that why they had a little surplus of money at the time, that then going into the Depression, all positive efforts for this quickly turned south, I would imagine. Right. People were holding on to every dollar. But what's interesting is they had already discovered this little pocket of syphilis, basically. So in the doctor's eyes, they thought, we can't just pause this study. Like, they wanted to help people. They wanted to find a cure. Once the news broke that the money was gone, a doctor named Dr. Tally Farrell Clark came forward. He was a public health service officer who worked directly on the Rosenwald Project. 
And he took special notice of this high rate of syphilis in this little part of the country, and he wanted to continue looking into it. Dr. Clark teamed up with Dr. Vandelier, and the two doctors decided they wanted to salvage the data gathered by the mobile units, so a short-term study was created. The goal of this study was to observe the natural course of untreated syphilis in black men, and the official name of the study was the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Man, like I talked about earlier. This is really where racism begins to show. I watched a documentary from A&E on YouTube from 1990, so I I went way back on my couch, (laughs) and they interviewed doctors who truly thought that syphilis was a black man's disease. Oh, God. These doctors who were all white would make claims like 95% of black communities had syphilis. And when you look at the statistics from a source like the Cleveland Clinic and then you look at, you know, 36% of Tuskegee had it. Yes, the number is high, but these bold claims were just it stemmed from something other than facts. Right. These doctors even made comments um, like the following, which I pulled directly from a doctor. This is nothing I would ever paraphrase or anything, but he said, People in black communities aren't as cautious, and when you get poor groups together, they do a lot of fornicating and spread the disease. They aren't educated like white people. Are you absolutely kidding me? Oh, my God. Well, this unfortunately speaks to the time, doesn't it? It does. So originally, this study was going to last for six months to one year. They were going to monitor subjects who had syphilis, and then they were hoping that they'd be able to find a cure, so they got to work. In 1929, people around Tuskegee received pamphlets encouraging them to come to a center and get, quote, free medical treatment. This medical treatment was for aches and pains and whatnot, just kind of common everyday ailments, um, remembering that most of these men had never seen a doctor. Right. They're in, again, an area where you said they didn't even have access to real health care at all. Correct. Blood tests were conducted and 399 men tested positive for syphilis. They were recruited unknowingly. This right here is really where the study irks me because these men didn't know they had syphilis. They came in for a simple blood test. They were identified as having the disease and they were not told. And the doctors who were running the experiment wanted to keep it that way. Okay, so they're promising these communities that don't have access to health care, have your dad, your brother, your, you know, whoever, have them come in, take a blood test. Whatever comes up in that blood test, we're going to provide health care for. Like it was just under a blanket, whatever's ailing you. Exactly. The term, which I'll get into, was considered bad blood. And bad blood can cover everything from anemia, fatigue. It can cover syphilis, but that's what they were told they had bad blood. Most men who tested positive and were chosen were in the latent stage of syphilis. This is the stage where you don't show visible symptoms and you cannot spread it, so it's non-infectious. 201 men who did not have syphilis were also recruited to be used as controls, bringing the grand total to 600 men who were enrolled in this study. Aside from it just being really shitty to not tell someone that they tested positive for syphilis, it's important to keep in mind that syphilis does have a contagious stage, and Even though most of these people were in the latent stage, it won't stay that way forever. So looking back, officials confirmed that these men unknowingly spread syphilis to their partners, who in turn spread it to their unborn children. Oh, this case, I'm not going to have words. This is already making me mad, and I'm sure it's not going to get any better. And the thing that makes me immediately so mad about this is this is a sexually transmitted 
disease. Doesn't mean that they're out being like, well, you know, not trying to slut shame, but <laughs> it doesn't mean everyone's out having a one night stand. No. But if you have consensual sex with your partner, and then there's even a possibility that you unknowingly have a small chance of passing that on to your child, these people should already just lose their healthcare license. This is so sh- shameful to not inform people and give them options. Maybe they didn't have a cure at the time. I understand that. But like you can do certain things to protect yourself if you have a sexually transmitted disease, if you have the knowledge that you have it. 100%. To sweeten this free medical treatment deal, participants were told they would receive the following. They would receive this free medical care for their bad blood. They would receive rides to and from the clinics, free meals on examination days, free treatment for minor ailments, and guarantees that provisions would be made after their death in terms of burial stipends paid to their survivors. And they don't know they have syphilis, which at the time is a horrible, I mean, truly a death sentence because there's no cure. So they're just signing this like we would to get on the amusement park ride. You're like, okay, the possibility of this happening is slim to none because they have no idea. And I think these were amazing men who were like, well, if anything happens, my family's taken care of. Right. It's life insurance, if you will. Exactly. Because these men were primarily poor farmers, many of whom had never visited a doctor, the study was appealing to them and they agreed to participate. I want to use the term agreed to participate very lightly because they didn't know what was actually going on. We also have to keep in mind that the Great Depression was bearing down hard, especially on southern states. So these kind of small perks really added up for the men. Well, let's say it like it is. People were desperate during that time. And free food. My goodness. I'd sign up for anything for free food. (laughs) Big food gal. If you know anything about me, you know I'm obsessed with my pets. My rescue dog, Gracie, has been through it all. I found her abandoned in a desert and she soon surprised me with eight puppies and then was diagnosed and thankfully recovered from a rare cancer. I absolutely want to make sure the rest of her life is as happy and healthy as possible, which is why I feed her the farmer's dog dog food. I wouldn't eat processed food for every meal and expect myself to be healthy, but yet highly processed kibble is sold to us as healthy options for our dogs. Instead, I feed Gracie and encourage you to feed your dogs the farmer's dog. It's real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve its nutritional value. It's so simple to get started with the farmer's dog. Just fill out a quick quiz online and all your dog's meals arrive in pre-portioned, vet-developed recipes for as little as $3 per day. Gracie's food arrives in pre-portioned, ready-to-serve packs, and because they're delivered on my schedule, I know I will never run out. Dog owners and lovers all across the country have ordered millions of meals from the farmer's dog. It's truly never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy dog food at thefarmersdog.com slash a case of the Sunday scaries. Plus, with our code, you actually are going to get free shipping. Just go to thefarmersdog.com slash a case of the Sunday scaries to get 50% off and free shipping. Again, that's thefarmersdog.com slash a case of the Sunday scaries. So I mentioned earlier how they were being treated for bad blood, which was this local term used to describe several ailments. And they were told, you know, you might have things like anemia and fatigue. But according to articles published later, it's unclear if these men even knew what the words anemia and fatigue meant. 
I was actually talking to Derek about it, and he goes, I don't even know what anemia means. I do. <laughs> okay, actually explain it. Generally, it's low iron in the blood. Um, I don't know what all the signs and symptoms are. I just remember that I was told that my iron count was low and that I was a little anemic. Nothing to be worried about. I'm totally fine. I just had to take some iron supplements for a while, but I know that there's different, obviously different stages of it and different types of anemia that are more serious than others. But I believe it's an iron deficiency in your blood. Yeah, that makes sense. I knew it had something to do with the blood, but I, I was like, I can't remember what exactly. So if you think about the people living in Tuskegee and you have these doctors coming in and they're saying you have bad blood and you could have this and this and you don't really understand or just like, okay, I'll, I'll get the free treatment because I want to get better. One victim named Charles Pollard said in an interview, quote, I was just a country boy in Alabama. They found what they wanted and they said they're going to treat us. They just said bad blood, end quote. Once again, showing that how deceiving these doctors were. Yeah, they're not telling them what's really going on with them or preventing it from spreading. During a 1990 interview I watched with a man named Herman Shaw, who has since passed away, but he did survive the study and he talked about what would happen. He kind of played it out for us. He said a nurse named Nurse Rivers, who I'm going to get into in a little bit, worked to recruit him. Nurse Rivers lived in the community. She was a trusted person. Everyone kind of looked at her as like this kind of leeway between the doctors and the people of Tuskegee. She would come and she would pick up the men, including Herman. She would take them to the Andrew Memorial Hospital of Tuskegee, where their blood was drawn. They would get their free meal and then nurse servers would bring them home. If any of the participants ever complained of soreness or said that they felt sick, remember the syphilis is progressing, they would receive this medicine for their bad blood. We know now that they were receiving aspirin, which does not treat the root of the problem. Aspirin doesn't treat anything besides a fever. It gets rid of symptoms, sure, of pain and all that, but oh, Annie, this is going to make me angry. Eventually, the months passed, and Herman said officials would show up at his doorstep or where he worked on the farm ground, and they would just say, roll your sleeve up. They would draw his blood and leave. They never gave any kind of explanation to what they were doing. Well, and it doesn't sound like they're treating them. They're they not. They have to like, complain just to get an aspirin that they don't know is an aspirin. So like, where is the treatment protocol coming in? Exactly. Only a year into the study, the doctor started doing x-rays and spinal taps, which I've had a spinal tap. It is extremely painful. And I was in a hospital in downtown Denver like where they were carefully putting my back. I can only imagine the treatment that these men received because to, to the doctors, these men are just a test subject. And these doctors started seeing the effect of untreated syphilis. And this pathology truly fascinated the doctors. They said they found, quote, perfect gold mines of cardiovascular syphilis, end quote. The doctors were intrigued with what they were seeing, and they didn't want the study to end because, remember, it was only supposed to last for six months to a year. I'm sorry, but what the hell is the point of this study at this point? Are they just studying? I understand what they're telling this community, which is absolutely nothing. But for the doctor's point of view, are they just watching the progression of this disease basically at this 100%. point? They're not doing anything to treat it, try to cure it. Nothing. nothing. That doesn't even seem like, you know, racism aside and all of that that's built into this, that doesn't even seem like it'd be beneficial to their own race. Because why aren't we looking for a treatment, a cure? That makes no sense to me. Right. So the first six to six months to a year, they actually were trying to see how it progressed and they were going to try and make a cure. Because at the mm -hmm. time, there was nothing that they could do to, to help. I see. Okay. That makes more sense. That comes later on in the timeline. We'll get in our time machine in a second. Okay. Raymond Vondelaer, the program's director, 
promised these doctors that they wouldn't have to end the study early. He decided to extend the study to the death of the participants due to the doctor's findings. Who is funding this? The Public Health Service. Oh. The government. Great. They were going to study these men until they died, and they weren't going to give any insights into what they were studying, nor were they going to tell the men they all had syphilis. I found a pamphlet online that the men of the study would receive. And the goal of this pamphlet was to keep them coming back. Because if you're being poked and prodded and you're not really seeing a difference in how you're feeling, maybe you're like, I don't really want to keep doing this study. This pamphlet would say, dear sir, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's back in the 1930s. So it's kind of hard to understand. But it basically said, dear sir, some time ago, you were given a thorough examination. And since that time, we hope you have gotten a great deal of treatment for your bad blood. You will now be given your last chance to get a second examination. This examination is a very special one, and after it is finished, you will be given a special treatment if it is believed you are in a condition to stand it. It goes on to say, We will be very busy when these examinations and treatments are being given. It may be necessary for you to remain in the hospital overnight. If this is necessary, You will be furnished your meals and a bed, as well as the exam and treatment without cost. Remember, this is, in all capital letters, your last chance for special free treatment. Be sure to meet the nurse. So, like, these men are like, oh, my God, this is my last chance. I feel like shit. And that ominous line about it might be necessary for you to stay overnight, it's because they were doing, like, spinal taps and really kind of invasive procedures. I'm going to stop you here because I feel like I have a little a little insight. Spill the tea, sis. And that has nothing to do with race or what was going on at the time. But I actually signed up for medical studies when I was younger. And it was, I won't say the company name, but they were doing generic versus placebo versus like the high-end drug. And the amount of paperwork. So I just want to kind of say what it's like now. Because that's why I'm getting so gobsmacked by this because of the amount of meetings that we had to do. It could be something like aspirin versus like Safeway version of aspirin. I did one where it was just like an IV catheter versus a different type of IV catheter. There was no medicine going into you. And yes, mom, dad, I'm sorry (laughs) because they hated it every time. But there are these controlled studies that actually are very important. So like, you know, you can get medicine at a more affordable price. But I cannot tell you, it was like screening, EKGs, everything just to make sure that you were healthy enough to make sure that you could sign up for this. And then from there, you had blood draws to pay on the study every 15 minutes or so for a few hours, and then it'd go to every hour, et cetera. And you were signing all the time, all these documents that you were agreeing, that you understood. There was always someone there monitoring you. And so that's why I'm getting like so outraged by what you're saying, because it is so vastly different. I fully knew what I was getting myself into. I I knew what medicine was going into my body. I knew what food I was going to be eating. I knew exactly how many times they were going to poke me with a needle. Like everything was outlined and it was test after test for weeks leading up to it just to make sure that there wasn't anything going on with you. And then to compare it to this where they're like, "Mm, sorry, you have some bad blood and we're doing this you know, trial that we're not going to tell you if we're going to cure you or not. We're going to give you a meal because you're desperate enough to do something during the Great Depression to accept a meal and be very excited about it because it's one less mouth to feed for your family. It's just a stark difference to how I was treated going through a study like this 
to not that long ago and for them to just be like, we're going to completely keep you in the dark that you have a potentially terminal disease that you could pass on to someone. I just, where's the humanity in? I would much rather someone tell me if I had a cancer that was terminal or something, we can't do anything for you. This is what's going to be the next steps, whatever the case is. Like where was just like the the decency here. Right. They were so set on seeing it evolve in these x-rays and like, oh my gosh, the fact they said they had the perfect gold mine of cardiovascular syphilis. It's disgusting. Well, and to refer to it as that is also disgusting. Because again, if someone had told me I had a terminal disease of some sort, but it was something they hadn't had a chance to research anymore and it could potentially help someone, I might still say, okay, draw my blood, do these tests if it can maybe help somebody else. But they're not giving them any information whatsoever to prepare their families. It's unbelievable how they could like stare at these men's faces every day, knowing that they were not helping in any way and just using them as guinea pigs, basically. Well, and what's shocking is I have I had never heard of this. You had heard briefly of it. I don't know how our listeners feel if they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of this or if they're like, wait, this happened when and where? But let's continue because the one person who played a huge role in this study was nurse Eunice Rivers. She helped to recruit the men and she would take them to the hospital in the early days of the study. She quickly became a friend to the families and to the men who were participating. And like I said, she was kind of seen as that trusted source between the doctors and the participants. What's alarming is that Nurse Rivers worked for the doctors. She knew what was really going on and she still helped to deceive these men. The study participants, including Herman Shaw, loved her upbeat personality. They loved how she took care of them. And the wives of the participants learned to confide in her. She was that vital link. And without her, I really don't think the study would have been so long because you have someone from your community saying, trust the doctors. You're getting your cure for your bad blood. Everything's going to be okay. Of course, you're going to trust her, right? When someone died, because as the years passed, this started happening, the families were offered a small lump sum of cash in exchange for one thing. Oh, don't What do even you think they want with a... To use the corpse for science. 100%. The doctors wanted to be able to conduct autopsies, and the families were promised that the public health officials would pay for a proper burial and also pay for the undertaker. Funerals were very expensive. It was really important to people, as it still is today, to have your loved one properly buried. Absolutely. But guess who was a key player also in that transaction, if you will? Nurse Rivers. Yeah, Miss Gerline Maxwell herself. Yep. She would attend the funerals of the deceased. She would sit with the widow. She would cry with them. And then after the funeral, she would go up to the widow, whoever was in charge of the body, and she would say things like, if you let the government take this body, they can save others. They couldn't save your husband or your dad or your brother, but they can save others. Are you okay with that? And it's like, after you just cried with me... At this funeral, of course, I'm going to trust you and see the good that you're trying to offer me. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. By securing autopsies of the deceased, doctors could see the full impact syphilis did to one's organs and insides. They specifically focused on the heart and the brain, and they would do studies on that. In the late 1930s, a few years after the study began, it was discovered that large quantities of arsenic, given continuously over a short period of time, would help to cure syphilis. Yes, I see your face. Arsenic, like the poison. This is not a new term for anyone who's listening to this This has gone in a different direction than I was anticipating. It did. But it's showing kind of the progression of the medical treatment. 
So large-scale treatment facilities were set up around the South, including Macon County, where Tuskegee is located, and public officials were really encouraging people to seek treatment. This might seem like really hopeful news, like, okay, perfect. No, Annie, All arsenic these... <laughs> injections do not sound like hopeful news And to I'm me. like, what's worse, arsenic injections or the effects of syphilis? Because arsenic was showing really positively that it could stop the disease, which you have this other study running next to it. And it's like, oh, it's like killing these men. Sure. And I mean, you think about like chemo, it takes you right to the brink and, you know, it kills good cells, bad cells, all of it in order to kill cancer. So I understand there's risk involved, you know, but it's just arsenic, you know, <laughs> the word. Ugh. I, I've done a little bit too much research on that specific poison to really want that injected into my body. You might think, okay, perfect. The men of Tuskegee can just get that treatment and it can all be done. But no, no, no. <laughs> Elise is really geeking out with this arsenic. Because, and I don't mean to laugh, it's just the absurdity of it. Because these people are not getting good health care to begin with. I do not trust that the levels of arsenic are going to be regulated in a community that they're already lying to these people. So, I, again, I don't mean to laugh. I'm not poking fun at it. It's just the absurdity it of is. this it's absurd. is, is absolutely insane to me. Truly. What's even more absurd is that the men who were enrolled in this study could not receive treatment. Nurse Rivers was given the responsibility of literally sitting outside the Macon County Treatment Center to make sure that none of the test subjects accidentally were treated. Oh. Like we talked about, they don't know they have syphilis. They know they have bad blood. But... Back to the point of like not really having access to any kind of medical service. If you say, hey, there's this new treatment and it's working for syphilis, maybe maybe my bad blood can be treated that way. Because at this point, no one's getting better in this study. Well, right. And they're not even disclosing it so that people can get treatment and then blocking them. I keep adjusting in my seat because this is this is making me so, excuse my language, effing mad. Yeah. Because what the hell? Yeah, let's get back into that arsenic topic because it's kind of interesting. This documentary I watched, which we'll link, it was pretty short. It was on YouTube, but it showed these public health officials kind of herding people up. And they would actually put them in hotels for a few days because they wanted to have the arsenic have low quantities, but back to back to back. So you see all these people with their arms out and just IVs going into them, getting the arsenic. And they're all like smiling and happy about it. Very odd. But Herman Shaw from earlier remembers this firsthand because he actually got on a bus. He left Tuskegee and went to Montgomery, Alabama to receive treatment for his bad blood. And guess who showed up at that center yelling out, Herman Shaw, Herman Shaw. Not the nurse. Nurse Rivers. She had tracked him down and she told him, get back on that bus and go back to Tuskegee because you're in a separate study and this is not going to help you. And right there, he could have been maybe not cured of syphilis, but it could have at least slowed down the progression of the disease. This is absolutely absurd. What were they paying this woman? Because it was not enough. No. At the time, he trusted her, so he got back on right. the bus and he went home. But looking back, he said she's a very evil woman. That's a very kind way to put it, Mr. Shaw. In the 1940s, so 10 years after this, more positive news emerges. And this actually is still used today. Penicillin. Okay, good. That I can <laughs> get on board with. Yeah. We... I've I've definitely had penicillin. Like it's an antibiotic. It's sure. I thought you were gonna say I don't know, like some some odd thing out of white <laughs> oleander yeah. or something. You know, like oh, just another thing that could kill you. No, 
Okay. Love me some penicillin. Absolutely. So penicillin had been discovered to cure syphilis, keeping in mind that this untreated syphilis study had nothing to do with the connection between penicillin because they were not treating their victims. I said victims. I'm going to say it because that's what they were. So there's other studies running kind of around the country. Penicillin's discovered, yep, that'll cure syphilis. But can you guess what group of people were never told about this? So they are not told that they have it. Then they're blocked from getting arsenic, which, I mean, we all know my opinion on that. That might have <laughs> been for the best. But there's no disclosure going on. Then you have this, like, Gerlaine Maxwell character who, is this woman white? No, she's black. I can't imagine what she's getting promised. I don't want to give her an excuse. This is absolutely absurd to me. But she's almost acting like a trafficker mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, we're only going to tell you this much. We're going to sell you this idea, this great life. And then once you're signed up for this study, no, we're going to absolutely destroy any hope you have of getting better, of being treated. This is so uncivilized. I I don't have better words for it. This is unbelievable to me. it is. After the discovery of penicillin, it became a state law in Alabama that anyone who had syphilis had to be treated with the antibiotic. However, the study leaders and doctors met with the U.S. Surgeon General and they explained their project. And they asked if this group of men could be excluded from the law. They were granted that request. These doctors were on board with holding back the participants. These doctors were on board with holding back penicillin because of how long these men had survived living with the disease and the data that they were all gathering. Remember, they're getting spinal taps done. They're getting x-rays done. They're getting their blood drawn. They're now getting dead bodies to look, to cut open and literally look at the heart and the brain. Um, one doctor named Dr. Sidney, who grinds my gears, he did an interview long after the study was over. He came in at the very end, like 1970. He said, if a patient manages to live 25 plus years with the disease, you don't treat them, you congratulate them. I threw popcorn at the screen after that one. These are humans. And this is starting to remind me so much of what happened during the Holocaust and all these medical experiments. And yes, maybe we received a lot of information we didn't have before, but that does not excuse the process that they went to to get this, because had these people been informed, they could have made their decisions, had bodily autonomy over their choices. And there's a cure for it. So you no longer need to continue on this study because it's like no one's going to have syphilis until they die anymore. We have penicillin. We're good. But no, they continued on it Mm -hmm. from allowing them to get treatment. In the early 1950s, some of these people, they moved away from Tuskegee. This was during the time of the industrial movement. A little history fact for you there. I hope you're you're proud, Dax. I know (laughs) with geography and math, you're not. But they started to move up north. And public health servants around the country were asked to keep an eye on all Tuskegee alumni, as they were calling them, because they wanted to continue monitoring the symptoms. And they wanted to make sure that full autopsies were conducted on these men. So these men finally get out of Tuskegee. They're going on to find better jobs for their family. And there's like spies watching them, waiting for them to die, knowing they have syphilis while these men still don't know. Let's jump ahead to 1966. Like they all got criminally processed. And I am going to end this on a high note. No, 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 no. But we do. We're finally putting an end to the study because this is when a public health service venereal disease investigator in San Francisco that is quite, quite a title for your resume. <laughs> His name was Peter Buxton, and he found out about the Tuskegee study. He immediately started expressing his concerns to his superiors. He talked about how it was unethical, how these men are still out there work, 
with syphilis and long-stage syphilis. And he's just like blabbering on. He's considered a whistleblower. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. In response, the Public Health Service officials formed a committee to review the study, but opted to continue it. They were like, we're on board with the goal of tracking the participants until they all have died. They're all they're all older men at this point. But it's like, come on, he's just trying to get some help for these poor people. And to have the public health service say, no, we're going to continue it is shocking. But that didn't stop Peter because he then leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to a different reporter named Gene Heller of the Associated Press. Gene broke the story in July of 1972, prompting public outrage and forcing the study to finally shut down. I have some stats for you. By that time, 28 participants had perished from syphilis. Remember, 399 had it. 100 more had passed away from related complications. At least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with syphilis, and the disease had been passed to 19 children at birth. The study that was supposed to only last six months to a year ended up lasting 40 full years and completely destroying people's lives. In 1973, Congress held hearings on the Tuskegee experiments, and the following year, the study's surviving participants, along with the heirs of those two died, received a $10 million out-of-court settlement. That's not enough. Not enough. Additionally, new guidelines were issued to protect human subjects in U.S. government-funded research projects. The final study participant passed away in 2004. I'm literally speechless because whenever you do research on this too, you just see these men and they're all in their, you know, they're all working in the farm, farm fields are getting their shots. And like, they kind of look proud, almost like I'm helping someone, like I'm getting my free medical treatment. And just knowing how deceived they were while you have these white doctors with these evil smirks on their face. I want to just drop the F-bomb right here. F you. Yeah. I just don't know how we, throughout history, keep doing this to each other. And that is the frustrating part is because the farther you go back, it's one group. Then it's another group. Then it's the Jews. Then it's the blacks. And it's like, how? I just, uh, I'm getting actually kind of emotional. This makes yeah. me so angry because people say like, you know, racism isn't a thing anymore, all this stuff. And this is court settlements that are going through now just, you know, my parents were live when yeah. they were literally ending this experiment so don't tell me like this stuff doesn't still happen it's disgusting right if it was up to a lot of powerful people we probably wouldn't be talking about this today because it was considered quote shameful it um, is shameful it is but i think it's unbelievably cruel and i'm so thankful that peter buxton came forward he was not silenced and all in all looking back now we can say that the tuskegee study was unethical because of three major things First, it violated bioethical principles of respect for autonomy, so participants were not fully informed. They couldn't make their own decisions. Second was non-maleficence. It's a hard word to say, but it basically means that... I've watched that Disney movie. <laughs> it basically means that participants were harmed because treatment was withheld after penicillin was discovered. And last is just justice, because only African-Americans were recruited for this study. Well, and let's just call it what it is. It was unethical because it was racially motivated. I don't, where's the group of white people that are standing next to them in line exactly. getting the same sort of treatment? Nope, didn't happen. We're just going to use people, actual effing humans, as guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do to, like, ugh, yeah. how do you do that to another person? I don't understand. And their family. 
Well, let's get into the families because let's I did not. I need to take no. a breath. I'm getting really mad. I know. <laughs> but I did watch a few interviews with the men who lived through the experiment, and it's super sad. They're just old and they're angry. They don't trust public officials at all. I do not blame them. But that still is today. So the pain of Tuskegee is very real, especially among the grandchildren of the study participants. There's a man named Albert Jolks Jr., whose father was a participant in the study, and he said, We get treated like lepers. People think it's the scourge of the earth to have syphilis in your family. He went on to say it was one of the worst atrocities ever reaped on people by the government. He said, you don't even treat dogs this way. No. Carmen Head, whose grandfather, Freddie Lee Tyson, participated in the study, said, I'm angry about it. Very, very angry. And then she said that family members have told her very little about her grandfather's participation. The subject is completely taboo in her family, particularly with her grandmother. And she said, it's just such a painful issue in my family. Well, and let's be clear here. Sexually transmitted diseases are probably not coming up too much at the dinner table anyway. Like there's a certain, and there shouldn't be, a certain like stigma around them Mm -hmm. to begin with. But then to know what happened to these people that, never mind, I don't have anything more to say. I'm I'm really pissed off. Well, luckily for you, that is the story of the Tuskegee syphilis study. It is considered the most infamous biomedical research study in the U.S. history. And even though the government paid out $10 million, big whoop, like people died because of it and it's horrible. So like I said, we were going to get uncomfortable today. I know Elise is. I definitely am. Even after reading it back, I, I literally wrote this, but I'm still reading it back like, ugh, just painful. It's deplorable. I, I normally have a lot to say. I don't. And I'm sure that this month sometimes we'll have the wrong words to say as we talk about some of these cases. But why don't we hear about this stuff in history class? Like, this is a huge part of American history. Why is everything like, oh, you know, roses and and gumdrops and everything was fine. And here comes Martin Luther King walking down, giving the I have a dream speech. And then presto, everything was fine. And, you know, racism is gone. And, you know, that was just a bad time. Well, bullshit. Like, what about stuff like this? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's frustrating. And I'm... A very, very white person saying that it's frustrating. Translucent, in fact, except for my <laughs> spray tanned face. <laughs> but it's true. I only spray tanned from here to here. Um, and as frustrating as I am, it's like I wasn't hurt by this. But I still think that we should be educated on it and it should be talked about. Because what do they always say about history? History will repeat itself if you don't learn from it. Yet we're never taught it. And that's what makes me so mad when we're researching these cases is... You can't really learn from the mistakes of the people before you if you're not even taught about them and they're just swept under the rug like, oops, that was a little bit shameful. No, you guys knowingly killed people just because their race seemed superior to yours because of your own messed up judgments and prejudices. But, oh, it's okay. And we just won't talk about this again. And for anyone wondering, Nurse Rivers never had any kind of anything given to her because of what she did. And neither did any of the doctors. There was no ramification for what they did. The only thing that happened was the families and the heirs got that $10 million settlement. Split between them. Yeah, which is nothing. And there was no accountability for the doctors or the public health servants who said, continue on the study like nothing. I don't know what really to say. So I'm just going to say this. Happy Black History Month. I hope you guys will join us. We are going to be covering some more cases like this. Next week, however, I am going to be talking about something quite different because we are diving back into a serial killer, one, again, that comes from my neck of the woods. My blood's boiling right now. 
And I know that this case that I'm covering next week will probably have Annie in the same boat. I don't know. I'm just really mad and it's not like me to not have words to close this out. So I'm just going to say thank you for covering it. Thank you for educating us on stuff that I wasn't aware of. Maybe others who are listening weren't aware of. We will continue to cover more cases like this, but I got to go. I got to go, I don't know, wipe my eyes and punch a wall or something. But we'll be back next Sunday. But as always, until then. <laughs>